And the Oscar goes to... Oh, thank you so much. This might be the one time I'm speechless. This is not a joke. Moonlight is one best picture. Could you double check the envelope? And I can't deny the fact that you like me. Thank you, life. Thank you, love. You guys are just standing up because you feel bad that I fell, and that's really embarrassing, but thank you. This is nuts. It's a tie. I'm the king of the world. And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... My only object is being here is to try and get out of the What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a... Could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm going to make him an offer again. The census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fruity for Frodo. Nice kid. Don't laugh! Can't stop what's coming. This ain't reality TV! I will not fall into despair! You hate bloggers! You mock Twitter! It's time, Robbie! He's back! Welcome to the Next Best Picture Podcast. Oscar goes to... Okay, Coda. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 289 of the Next Best Picture podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglio. Time of recording is 11.03 a.m. on April 10th, 2022. Here to join me today for this episode, I have Evo Day. Hello. Will Mavity. Hello, hello, hello. And Josh Baharam. Hello, hello. All right, so for this week's show, we're going to be talking about the latest developments in the Will Smith, Chris Rock scandal. Oh, because this story is just never ending. It refuses to die. We're also going to be discussing our preview of the 2022 Cannes Film Festival, which I'm very, very excited to hear the lineup for later this week on April 14th, just a few days from now. The 75th edition of the festival's history so you know they probably have some big things planned and we already know some films that are going to screen there we're going to be talking speculation about what also might be announced this week we're going to discuss the trailer from marcel vichel with shoes on from a24 we're going to answer fan questions go over the polls but before i get to any of that first and foremost what has everyone been watching this week I guess we could start off with Eve here. Eve, what have you caught up with either at at home, on film, television, in the theater? Well, uh, as a full-time student that lives in Canada, I haven't been able to catch up on some of the uh, newer releases yet. I'm desperate to see everything everywhere all at once. I just haven't been able to catch it yet. I've been, uh, (laughs) for um, my academic research been watching a lot of Kenneth Anger films lately so that's been fun a lot of uh occult themes a lot of surrealism and that and whatnot I've also been catching up on a few uh past Palme d'Or winners for a uh potential article that I'll be writing for the website I just saw The Cranes Are Flying which was absolutely amazing and I can't believe I'd never seen it was amazing and work in that unbelievable yeah and then last night I watched uh, Gate of Hell, which is a 1953 Japanese film with stunning uh, color, stunning Eastman color that also won the Palme d'Or. Nice, nice. Yeah, the Palme d'Or history is really vast and pretty amazing. I mean, It's very rich. It's a great, diverse way to approach uh, film history. There's, there's, it really has everything. I agree. Absolutely. All right, Josh Parham, we'll move over to you. What did you catch up with this week? 
So one of the movies I saw was Ambulance, which there is a podcast review of. Uh, my verdict is it's loud and dumb, but kind of fun. So a Michael Bay movie, essentially. Uh, I had fun with it. It's not perfect, but overall, it, it's a decent time and enjoyable and entertaining. I'm genuinely surprised that <laughs> yeah. I like I, I still cannot believe that I walked out of that movie liking it in the end. <laughs> I am very shocked that you liked it and uh, especially Matt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bummer the first time in a while he's made a movie that people like across the board and it's just tanking at the box office. Yeah. 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 It's... I don't understand that because I, I would think that that's the kind of movie that people would want to go to the theater to see. But as I said on our podcast review, which everyone should take a listen to, uh, it feels very much like you know, Michael Bay is who he is. Everyone knows that. No one is expecting anything different than what he's made in the past. So it seems like only his diehard supporters are coming out for this one. Because if you have your mind made up about Michael Bay, then you're probably not going to go again to see another, you know, effort from him. Yeah, I mean, also the last time Michael Bay released... Other than, well, yeah, I mean, the last time Michael Bay released, like, non-franchise movies and non-pre-existing IP movies, you know, the movie-going market taste was very different. Yeah. And I I think this is just a sign now that nowadays, if you're going to release something theatrically, unless it's horror, basically it needs to be, unfortunately pre-established IP to make money. Well, let's hope that's not true with everything everywhere all at once, because I would love to see original films, you know, break out in some form or another. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, so everything everywhere all at once made almost as much as Ambulance, which is cool. Neither made a bunch of money, but, uh, you know, it it had a solid opening weekend. And I think it's still going to expand more next weekend. I was going to say, and the word of mouth on that film is so tremendous, I would not be surprised to see it have a good holdover into next week and actually continue to bring in some money for A24, which would be refreshing for that studio for a change. Yeah, yeah, I really do hope that one has a lot of good legs. and I think it will. I, I'm hopeful for it. Um, another thing I caught up with was Cow, the new Andrea Arnold movie. And, you know, it's a documentary that is mostly wordless following this cow on this dairy farm. And I don't think that type of documentary is for everybody, but I still found it to be pretty compelling. I thought it was interesting the way that Arnold basically uses all of her skills that she previously used for creating like these very intimate character studies and just did it for this cow. And, you know, it does drag in some places. It's not always captivating a hundred percent, but I still found it to be a compelling story that was, uh, crafting on the screen so yeah i would i would still recommend that one i would actually did enjoy it quite a bit nice nice i've been hesitant to watch that one but i think i'm gonna give it a shot this week and we'll see how that goes yeah i i do wonder if you'll like it matt uh but i personally did enjoy it i mean for context i didn't really i didn't really appreciate gunda yeah th- that's the reason why i'm a bit skeptical why you might like this one and i did like gunda but you know We'll see. Yeah. Uh, I hope you do like it. We'll see. Uh, and then the last one I want to mention is that there is a movie that has been out for a while that has just gotten so much buzz on my timeline on Twitter lately. And it's and I just felt like I had to finally see it. And it's a movie called RRR. OK. I've been hearing talk of that everywhere. 
Yeah. yeah. So are you aware of this, Matt? I think I've seen it vaguely, but like, no. Tell me about it. Yeah, this is a in, it's an Indian action movie. So understand that's like the tone of the thing. But everybody kept saying this movie's like wild and crazy and super fun. And you know what? I I gotta agree with them. And I will certainly say that like Indian action cinema is sort of its own <laughs> unique beast. Like this movie's three hours long too. So and, and just packed full of so much stuff. And if you're not on its wavelength, I don't know if you're really going to be invested in it. But if you are or open to those types of movies, it is a ton of fun with these just wild and silly action sequences. And of course, there are multiple music uh, numbers in it, too, including a dance sequence right in the middle of this film. Like it's it is wild and crazy, but I just had a super, super fun time with it. So I have to agree with everybody else that has been singing praises of it. If that is interest uh, to you, I would definitely recommend you try to check it out. And the title is three R's. Yes, it is R R R. I've been uh, I've been meaning to watch it, but that three hour runtime keeps scaring me off. But everyone, when I asked about seeing Morbius the other week, everyone was like, "No, see R R R instead." So it's it's on the radar for sure, and I want to catch it before it leaves. Where did you see it, Josh? Because it's not streaming anywhere. No, it's in, it's in theaters. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, my uh, local cinemas have quite a few uh, Indian films playing at any given time. All right, I'm gonna have to take a look and see where it's playing here in New York because you're selling me on it and I got nothing going on tonight. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> well, I hope you like it. Like I said, it is it is very wild and crazy and a particular kind of tone that you will normally see in these types of films, but it is truly a blast. All right. Matt, it's at the AMC Empire 25, if that means anything to you. I don't like going to that theater, but okay. that's okay. <laughs> you can go to Jersey instead. Ah. All over the place there. Oh, I forgot to mention in my uh, in my introduction that I the latest new film that I've seen was X, and I spent a I, my main reaction from that film was uh, I'm sure you guys all saw in the group chat that I had a terrible audience experience, and I'm and it's really unfortunate because I love going to movie theaters. And I just uh, just expect better behavior from adults. That's all. You expect from watching X? Oh, oh come oh on. God. <laughs> oh, God. God damn it, man. Well, what have you been watching? <laughs> uh, okay, but how about that makeup? Oh, I love the makeup. Yeah, that was, that was great. I could not believe, I guess we won't spoil, but like a certain actor. It's not necessarily a spoiler. <laughs> Yeah, I guess if you stay till after the credits, it's not. Yeah, but the whole movie I was wondering. And then sure enough, when the credits came up, I was like, I, I turned to uh, Dan Bear, who I saw it with. And I was like, motherfucker, I told you. <laughs> like, I think you're talking about. But honestly, when you said that makeup, all I could think about was Mia Goss' beautiful blue eyeshadow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, OK, so mainly TV this week, um, Apple TV's Severance and We Crashed. Um Severance is great. I cannot emphasize how much fun that show is. Cosign. I have only two episodes left, but I'm loving it. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of Lost in its early seasons with all these really exciting mysteries and also characters you really engage with. Um, The production design, the music, everything about it's fantastic. We Crashed is... I'm not quite as sold on every aspect of it. Um... 
I don't know that Jared Leto's performance quite works for me. He's playing this sleazy Israeli businessman, and it um, the accent and the everything is is a lot. But Anne Hathaway is fantastic in it. I'm so glad to see her have a really good role again. And it, you know, it's it's about how we work went from being one of the highest commodities in the quote-unquote tech world, since it's not really tech, to just absolutely crashing and burning. So, you know, that's an interesting story. It's probably worth watching, and I think Anne is probably going to be in the limited series Emmy conversation this year. But other than that, the only movie I watched was um, a long overdue checking off my list of Dangerous Liaisons from uh, the 80s with Glenn Close, which... Is a, is a fantastic watch, really gorgeous period costumes and productions I'd look at. And she has, she just really sinks her teeth into that performance. Should have won for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did I do this week? Besides Severance, besides Ambulance, which we mentioned earlier, um, I also saw The Northman, which I can't really go into too detail about because the review embargo is tomorrow. Suffice to say... <laughs> It's a $90 million Viking revenge film from Robert Eggers. What does that mean? That means that there were a lot of people who were nervous that this movie would have a tremendous ton of uh, studio interference and it would not feel like a Robert Eggers film. And instead, what it is, is it wholeheartedly a movie by the same guy who gave us uh, The Witch and also The Lighthouse. Only this time he has $90 million. So imagine that as you will. And that is the movie that you will get. Mm. Um, I do think that it is going to polarize some people. But, man, there's a lot to appreciate in this one. And I can't wait to talk about it in more detail uh, when it releases. Other than that, um, I also saw... I'm trying to think now because it's been a very light week. Yeah, I mean, I caught up on some television, as we mentioned before. Uh, you know, Severance is really great. I echo what Will said about that. I'm hesitant to watch Recrash because I saw the documentary on Hulu, and I don't really know if I need to watch the miniseries after watching that documentary, but I, I might watch it for Anne Halfway, like you said, Will. Sounds like she's doing some really excellent work there, and I plan to also catch up with uh, The Dropout. Because I've heard Amanda Seyfried is also excellent. Yeah, I've heard that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably do that one next, if anything. But that's it for me. Very, very light all around. Um, This evening, I'm planning on watching Zero Dark Dirty for our 2012 retrospective, which is kicking off this week. So I'm very excited to dive back into some 2012 films, a lot of which I haven't seen since that year itself. So I'm wondering how some of these are going to hold up. But yeah, Zero Dark Dirty, our review for that will be up later this week. What's up, guys? Gerald from Two Peas on a Podcast here. Are you just sitting there thinking to yourself, man, I really love some dude in his garage sitting around talking about arbitrary countdowns and his favorite things in the world of movies, music, and TV. Well, guess what? That's me. Please look me up. My name is Gerald, and I am from Two Peas on a Podcast. If you want to subscribe to my countdown show, I have a different co-host every week. It's often someone from the world of podcasting or entertainment. 
and we go through our top five favorite things in whatever that week's category is. You can find links to all of our content, subscribe via your favorite podcast app, and follow us on social media. The easiest thing to do is just head to our website, which is www.2peasonapod.com. I hope you look me up and join the party. It's a lot of fun. See you soon. All right. Let's just get this out of the way because I'm really just tired of talking about it all around. The Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences announced this week that Will Smith is going to be banned from the Academy Awards ceremony and all subsequent Academy uh, related events for the next 10 years. This is after he decided to resign from the Academy voluntarily. And this was on top of that. So curious to know what everybody thinks of this because I've seen such a wide range of opinions on this topic to the point that honestly I just I think everybody just needs to just move on at this point it's obviously a bad situation for everybody involved I think it makes the academy look awful and what what I mean by making them look awful by the way it's not so much like the punishment that they've given out to Will Smith here but more so there's been a lot of talk about you know, how they should have enacted uh, similar punishments upon people who have done similar to far worse crimes uh, in the past, and they haven't. And and this is like, I think, a little bit of a reckoning in terms of uh, accountability for the future and setting a precedent that they need to uphold. But I also think that there's been a lot of rightful criticism about, you know, that night at the ceremony and not necessarily kicking Will out of the room and escorting him, uh, you know, out of the building after the incident happened. And so there's a lot of people that are rightfully upset. I mean, I think we all saw that article uh, that was posted on Hollywood Reporter where they got reactions from Academy uh, voters and members. And it there's a lot of, like I said, there's just a lot of wide range of opinions on this right now. I mean, whatever the Academy was going to do, I feel like they were going to be in a bad spot because I figured that there was going to be some kind of banishment of Academy events in the future for him. I didn't think it was going to be a full decade, but I figured something like that was going to happen considering he already resigned. So there's really nothing else they could have done, but it, whatever action they were going to take was going to open the door to scrutiny of how they have treated other members in the past who have not behaved appropriately. And it's, it is a messy situation, but I think at the same time, as you said, Matt, everybody's sort of sick of talking about it right now. And I think in a couple months, we'll really, really be moving on. And it'll come back up every now and then when, you know, a Will Smith project is in the news or we're talking about the next ceremony. But it does feel like for the most part, this will probably be the last major significant news we'll hear about this for a while. I don't know about that. And I say that only because um, he actually does have a movie, a big, big movie coming out uh, later this year, Emancipation. Uh, and this is going to be from Antoine Fuqua and is going to be uh, distributed by Apple. And I don't think they're going to be pulling the plug on this necessarily, but this is a high budgeted film that was expected to be yet another award season contender for them. I don't know. Like, Will, what do you think they're going to do here with this? Do you think they're going to just quietly release it under the radar and not give it much of a push? I think they've invested enough money and it's a big production. I I think it's like a hundred million dollar movie or something. And it's got a it's also I think they've used um, because they've used like the VFX team who won Oscars for the Jungle Book and um, 
I, I don't remember what else, but there's been a lot of work to just lavishly recreate the uh, the antebellum period. I don't think that's a movie they can afford to just bury. I do think it's possible they now hold it till next year um, and hope that things have died down a little bit because they already also have Killers of the Flower Moon and Cha-Cha Real Smooth and I think one other thing as well. So maybe they just decide to focus their awards attention on those this year and then see if things have kind of simmered down a little bit by next year. I don't think they'll just bury it. But although Antoine Fuqua has an inconsistent track record, apparently this is a really good script. And the buzz on this one is genuinely really good. You know, the script was top the blacklist and people who've seen it say it's excellent. So um, if they do choose to release it this year, that's recent enough. It definitely could kind of reignite the conversation. So I honestly wouldn't be shocked if they decide to hold this till 2023. All right. Well, we'll see what happens with Emancipation. Uh, but overall, you know, I think that in terms of anything else that could possibly come of this story, I think this is kind of end of the line for now. Um, and you can pretty much read a bunch of think pieces or go on social media and hear what everybody has to say about it because everybody has chimed in one way or another. Uh, I'll be very curious to see if they invite maybe Chris Rock again next year to present. I don't even know if he would want to necessarily, but I think that will probably be like, if anything, the next development from this is if Chris Rock speaks more openly about it maybe in the future. But either way, uh, this I know I said last on last week's show that this seemed to be the the end when Will Smith uh, resigned, but this this right here definitely seems to be for now uh, the closure of this story that we've been talking about now for the last several weeks from this uh, from this year's ceremony, and it's a shame because I still feel like we should be talking about the impact that Coda's win has had. Uh, on aspects of the industry and how uh, deaf representation is now being uh, focused more heavily on in future projects. But, you know, nobody's talking about that, unfortunately. So it's a shame all around. Uh, but you know what people are talking about, though? They are talking about what is going to be premiering this week, uh, what is going to be announced for this year's Cannes Film Festival. And so there's been a couple of interviews that have come out and there's also been a few films that we already know that have been announced uh, to be confirmed to premiere this year, including uh, Elvis. This is a new film from Baz Luhrmann that is going to uh, probably hopefully kick Austin Butler into superstardom. I don't know about Tom Hanks in this still. I'm oh, very, God. very skeptical based <laughs> on that trailer, but he's doing something. <laughs> uh, Top Gun Maverick. Having Tom Cruise over uh, on the can red carpet, I think, is going to definitely bring a lot of tremendous press. And, of course, I think that movie is going to be absolutely incredible in IMAX cinemas. And 3,000 Years of Longing, the follow-up film from George Miller, whose previous movie, Mad Max Fury Road, won six Oscars. And this is a movie that, while it is not necessarily... Uh, at least I don't think any kind of a, you know, action movie like the Mad Max films. It is said to be a high budget art house film and it stars Idris Elba and Tilda Swinton. It's supposed to be a fantasy. Uh, I'm, I really I don't know what to expect. But with George Miller, I expect some level of imagination, creativity and just sheer awesomeness, because no matter what kind of genre he tends to touch, it tends to be excellent. Yeah, I yeah, think somebody said George Miller. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think somebody said it's it's a horny genie movie, if I remember correctly. <laughs> uh, oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Well, sign me up. <laughs> I would like to see it. <laughs> so, in doing our research and looking at you know potential filmmakers that we know that the festival would love to have in competition, have them return. Is there anything that? you know, you all have seen or had an eye on project-wise that uh, you think might be announced this week? Funny you should ask. I am desperately hoping that Park Chan-wook's decision to leave... Oh, please. Comes, he wanted to come last year, but he was still editing um, and couldn't get it done in time. So I am so hoping that this comes this year... And, you know, he's an incredible director. I would love to see him have this kind of Bong Joon-ho uh, moment where he finally gets a film that becomes an awards contender. Um, so I'm really hoping that that one shows up. Also, Hirozoku Koreeda's new film that has... Um, he's a Japanese director, but it's a predominantly Korean cast this time around. And so he has... Interesting. Yeah, so he, he has uh, Song Kong-ho from Parasite as the lead. Um, and that's called Broker. And I think that might show up. And I'm very intrigued to see if either of those come. I mean, I think it's a foregone conclusion that David Cronenberg's uh, Crimes of the Future will probably be announced. I, I, I would think. If not, it's got to be going to Venice. If not. The description that came out about that film being like the most controversial thing to ever be released made me so excited. Sign me up. Yeah. I love me some thought-provoking uh, David Cronenberg, so I'm all here for it. Starring Viggo Mortensen, Kristen Stewart, and Lea Seydoux, too, so some big star power that could arrive at this year's festival. I'm not necessarily sure this is it, but I would love some Lea Seydoux awards contention for something. Mm-hmm. Maybe not this, but something. Also, too, uh, you know, after revisiting Force Majeure recently, um, I need to revisit The Square, but I, I do remember liking it back in 2017. Triangle of Sadness sounds like it could be uh, Ruben Ostlin's, how do I say, like maybe maybe his most mainstream film yet. But at the same time, I've heard that uh, it was previously said to be three hours long. Mm. <laughs> so who knows? But I like his style and I like his sensibilities as a director. So I'm curious to see how that's going to uh, play. I'm pretty positive that will probably show up there. Kelly Reichert's new movie showing up maybe that has, uh, I believe, Michelle Williams in it as the lead. Mm-hmm. And then it has Hong Chow and Judd Hirsch in there as well, and Andre Benjamin. So I'm, I'm intrigued by that one. Um, I know IndieWire was hoping that Florian Zeller's new movie, The Sun, uh, which has Hugh Jackman and Laura Dern and, again, Anthony Hopkins, uh, shows up there. I don't know if that'll be ready in time, but they think it's possible. Yeah, I, I wouldn't count on it personally. I think that sounds like more of a fall film festival title. Agreed. You know what I think could show up? Uh, Michelle Hazanavanavicius was supposed to take Final Cut to Sundance. But mm-hmm. when Sundance went virtual, they pulled it from the slate because they wanted it to be shown in theaters. So maybe a canned launching pad uh, will be the place to bring it in this case. Oh, yeah, I think that's very possible. Uh, Malik's new movie where uh, Mark Rylance plays Satan. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited for that one. It's called The Way of the Wind, and it has Geza Rorig from Son of Saul as Jesus, and then Mark Rylance is, is, is Satan. And so it's like a new riff on, I guess, 
the Jesus story with quote unquote yes. dark genre twist. Awesome. <laughs> I'm 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 all here for it. But then again, Terrence Malick movies can be in the editing room for years, so I'm not holding my breath necessarily. Well, this one on has one. been in the editing room for years. It could they, be more oh, years, yeah. Will. More years. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put it this way: they shot this movie, uh, I think, before Parasite premiered. Jesus. So. <laughs> Yeah, I've been hearing about it for a while, and I am a little skeptical like, with Terrence Malick sometimes, but that cast is very interesting, although sometimes an interesting cast doesn't save a Malick movie either. But I, I'm still very intrigued based on who's in the movie, for sure. Do you guys think that after Up, Inside Out, and Soul all played at Cannes, do you think that Lightyear could make its world premiere there, too? Lol, Maybe. Yeah, I mean, they're not that opposed to, like, disposable sequels at Cannes uh, with, with these animated movies. So I could I could see it probably doing that. I mean, the film comes out in June. So, you know, I do think it makes sense because this is sort of a like this is a platform type of release that they've done before. So I think I think it's possible. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, I would say another one that I am somewhat interested in that could be going there is. This movie called The Eternal Daughter, which. Uh, oh, yeah. Joanna yeah, because it's another uh, Joanna Hogg movie, which I know there's sort of mixed opinions about the souvenir films, but I still really like those movies. I really like her directorial style. So I'm always now interested in whatever project she's got coming up in the future. You know, Eve was bringing up uh, Leia Sadu before, and she's going to be actually leading uh, Mia Hansen Love's uh, newest movie, One Fine Morning, which is her follow-up to uh, Bergman Island. So that's one that I think could also uh, show up there. Uh, Leia Sadu, obviously, being a French actress, is uh, someone that I wouldn't be surprised if she had more than one film uh, in you know in playing at this year's uh, Cannes Film Festival. I think also uh, it's possible that we see women talking, the first film from Sarah Polly in years. You think so? You think it would be a can? It could. Um, didn't her previous one um, take this waltz? I don't know. Did, did that go to can? Uh, but I mean. I don't remember that going to can, but. I, you know, maybe, maybe not, but I hope so. The cast is insane. Francis McDormand, Claire Foy, Ben Wyshaw, Rooney Mara, Jesse Buckley. I know Josh is going to be all on board this one because it's. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That is very much at the top of my list in terms of what I'm anticipating. I don't know if it's going to be it can. I haven't really gotten that expectation, but I would love it if it was. And we got some early word on it. I do not think that Darren Aronofsky's The Whale is going to be at can. I think that, too, will probably hold off until Venice, most likely. Although I can't wait to see uh, Brendan Fraser in that movie. I don't think that Nope will premiere at Cannes either. I think that's I think it's probably just too commercial. Um, but then again, you know they have big movies like Top Gun Maverick and Elvis. But then again, I just feel like that's a film that they would have announced alongside those, not something to be announced yeah. on the fourteenth. So I don't think that's happening either. I also don't think that Wes Anderson's movie is going to go uh, to Cannes either. You know, it made sense no. for the French Dispatch. But I don't think Asteroid City uh, would be premiering here. I don't think it's done yet. I think he's yeah. focused on it. Exactly. Uh, you know what I, I think um, I'm pretty certain is going is the new film from Robert McCoy, McCoyan. I don't know. He did The Killing of Two Lovers. Um, 
I'm I'm pretty sure his new film, The Integrity of Joseph Chambers, is going to be there. And I love The Killing of Two Lovers. So yeah, so good. Oh my god, I can't wait to see what he does next. You know, I don't know if it is going to go to can, but whenever we can see Tar, the new film from Todd Field, like mm-hmm. I am so ready for that movie. Yeah, God, it's been so long. I know it has. I. I want Todd Field back. He's such a good storyteller, and I've I've missed his movies. Man, I can't wait for Kate Blanchett just to sink her teeth into that role. She's yeah. uh, apparently she's the the first ever female conductor of a major European orchestra. That's what the the plot is about, and her name is Evelyn Tarr. Oh my gosh! So, yeah, that one sounds fun. I feel like she's really gonna enjoy that role. There is a movie that is being released by A24 starring Emily Watson, Paul Mescal, uh, called God's Creatures. You know, A24 does tend to bring um, a lot of their movies to uh, the Cannes Film Festival. So I wouldn't be surprised uh, to see that one possibly show up there. Looking at their release slate, though, I am trying to like I, I, I do wonder. I am curious do you think there's a world where Disappointment Boulevard from Ari Aster shows up there? I mean, another question mark of a movie just entirely, but I am very anticipating it, but I, I don't know if it'll be a can. I don't know either, but at the same time, like I said, I feel like A24 does tend to launch a lot of their movies there, but Disappointment Boulevard seems, it feels a little too big to be at can. I don't know. It's tough to say. Very, very tough. Ari Aster obviously has not had a movie ever premiere at Cannes, but then again, he's only made two films, Hereditary and Midsummer. And uh, man, it's this cast, though. I can't wait to see what comes of this. I'm very, very curious because it's said to be a dark comedy. <sighs> Just I'm sold. I'm sold. I'm ready for it. I can't wait to see what Joaquin Phoenix does with Ari Aster. Oh, yeah, that should be a good one. Claire Denis' new movie, uh, The Stars at Noon. It's so funny. I just saw a new Claire Denis film like a few weeks ago called Fire, and now she's has, she has another one. That woman does not stop. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. I really hope that that's ready in time. I heard that she's working tirelessly to get it ready, though. So that's like the intention. Uh, we'll see, though. Maybe maybe it's one of those things where they'll announce it on the 14th, but it still isn't ready, and she'll be working on it until like the last possible minute. Yeah. I think that just sort of overall with Cannes now, this really has now just become the festival where we have to see where is our international best director nominee going to come from? <laughs> 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 this is just the launching pad for it now in the future. And it's now a trend in that category. I mean, not even so much that, but also like just the international feature film category in general. Oh yeah, that too. Yeah. Worst person in the world and drive my car uh, this past year. Both played at this year's uh, last year's Cannes Film Festival, man. And it's funny to look back on that because at the time, Drive My Car, I remember it winning the screenplay prize at the Cannes Film Festival. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, this will probably be in the international feature conversation. I remember having it in my 10, but not moving it until my into my five until I saw it for myself in New York Film Fest. But I, I, I guess I'm just still like. You know, thinking back on what an incredible run that movie had and how organic and natural it was, I never would have imagined last year at Cannes that that would be the movie to break out with the Academy the way that it did. You know, we all had our eyes on a hero uh, at the time, 
and then also uh, Tatan to see, you know, just how <laughs> how daring the Academy would be to possibly embrace a movie as bold and uh, as daring as that. So last one here. I've been hearing a lot of reports about this one lately. I don't know what to make of it, though, in terms of, you know, whether or not a film make it at the festival. But what do you guys think of the possibility of James Gray's latest film, Armageddon Time? Yeah, I don't know. They're, they literally were test screening that one like last week, which makes me think it's not in a place where they're ready to have it completed to premiere anywhere. And I I think also the cut they showed still didn't have music and stuff finalized. So I doubt it's going to be ready in time. That feels more like a, we're going to hold off on that till Venice or something. Yeah. I mean, also, too, I'm just excited about the discovery aspect of can you know there's always a, um, a filmmaker internationally and you know I'm, sh- I'm showing my ass a little bit by saying this but i'm not as well versed on every international filmmaker that's necessarily working today so maybe they've made a film you know one here or two there necessarily but then they have like their one that's like the breakout one you know uh so while they may have been working for a while, it's always very fun and interesting to see what's going to be like the can breakout film that brings that international filmmaker uh, that level of recognition and kind of just catapults them to a new level of popularity. Exactly. Like for a lot of this f- festival, I think initially we are attracted by the names of filmmakers that we know and are familiar with. But there is definitely this element of discovery during the festival, too, where something will happen and it's like. There's so much attention on it. And I mean, honestly, even like last year when, as you said, like with Drive My Car, even though Hamaguchi had been working for a while, that still also kind of felt like a bit of a discovery for a lot of people and turned more people onto his overall filmography, including the movie, the other movie he made last year. So that's also a really exciting element to find a maybe even a new filmography that is already established, but is now just getting a breakout on a bigger scale. Do you guys think that they'll finally have more women in competition this year? Or do you think that they're going to just, I don't know, have a slight increase from last year, but it still won't satisfy uh, what everybody wants to see from them? Because that's been a point of major criticism of the Cannes Film Festival over the last couple of years. I have a feeling it'll be an increase, but maybe not to the degree that it should be, because things seem to move very slowly in France on that front. Uh, so yeah. I'm not entirely optimistic, but maybe they will get a little bit of a bump. Also, don't hold your breath about any Netflix titles uh, being announced. Oh, no. for Yeah. I, like, I've heard some people say blonde, blonde. Do you think blonde? And I'm like, no, stop. No, no. Now, I that <laughs> France, they did just like reform some of those rules in terms of the theatrical window before it hits on like a streaming platform. But it's it is still much, much longer than Netflix would want. Not to mention, though, um, when you think about the production of blonde and the type of movie it's most likely going to be, I do feel like can is probably the best audience for that type of a movie yeah i'm not holding my breath though i would be shocked and i i don't think it's happening so well moving on from that let's uh talk about this week's trailer a24 finally released a trailer from marcel Vachel with shoes on which had its world premiere at last year's telluride film festival where i was lucky enough to catch it it is coming to theaters on june 24th and it stars jenny slate and isabella rossellini 
Let's take a look at the trailer for this one and let's give some thoughts. All right, so I'm making like a little documentary. Oh, it's like it's a like... movie, but nobody has any lines and nobody even knows what it is while they're making it. Mm. No. Hmm? Tell me about what's life like. It's pretty much common knowledge that it takes at least 20 shells to have a community. My cousin fell asleep in a pocket and that's why I don't like the saying everything comes out of the wash because sometimes it doesn't, or sometimes it does, and they're just like a completely different person. So, it's actually only two of us now. Myself and my grandmother, Nana Connie. We like to watch 60 Minutes because Leslie Stahl is fearless. Nana, make the noise. I cannot wait for you all to see this. I'm so excited oh for you God. all to see this. <laughs> I mean, I like remember this being like a early viral video that I discovered and being absolutely delighted with it just for its absurdity. And then that was kind of just a, a one of those memories that kind of just sat in the back of my head only to emerge last year when I found out they were making a movie. I thought that that's can't be right. And then I was even more shocked when you said how much you liked it. So then I had another shock when I found that Isabella Rossellini is going to be in it. So I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Well, I went into this completely blind. Uh, the only thing I was going off on, because I was clearly living under a rock, I had never heard nor seen the viral uh, video that this is based on. So the night before, uh, it, it screened at Telluride, and it got such enthusiastic responses from people like Thomas uh, Laffley, Scott Menzel, a few others that were there. And, you know, when you're at the film festival and you're trying to fill in slots of like, oh, should I see this or should I see this and making decisions, you know, you tend to go based off of what the buzz is. And sure enough, I was like, okay, that everybody seems to be very enthusiastic about this. Let me go check this out. I was floored by how funny, emotional, and heartwarming this movie was. Floored. Could not believe what an what a fantastic time this was. Um, it's, as you can tell from the trailer, shot like a documentary, but Marcel is an animated character, so there's been like a lot of discussion about whether or not if this is considered a documentary or if it's considered an animated film. You know, that hybrid is a little confusing, I think, to some people. Uh, so that might call into question like what it would contend for this year as far as any kind of awards prospects goes but oh man i mean i think you can all tell by the tone of the trailer because i can tell you all that tone is exactly what the movie is and i think that every cynic who walks into this theater to see this movie is going to just have their heart absolutely melted by marcel <laughs> certainly looks like that from the trailer the the trailer looked like it just had a ton of charm and sweetness to it. And yeah, combining that with your very enthusiastic reaction to it, Matt, I am very, very much looking forward to this movie. I, I do wonder about its awards prospects ever so slightly, just because it seems like there's a lot of live action elements in it. And I don't know how the animators branch of the Academy, even though it's not just animators nominating anymore, but I do wonder how they'll take to it. But Regardless, just based on this little glimpse of it, this looks so charming and wonderful. Like I really cannot wait to see it. Yeah, in yeah, preparation I, for this discussion, I went back and watched the original video, and I <laughs> a flood of memories just came, <laughs> came pouring back in. It was it was nice. I definitely think it will be eligible because pretty much all of those movies, like the Smurfs and Alvin and the Chipmunks, 
where their live action animated hybrids have been eligible. They just haven't gotten nominated. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, but as you said, Josh, it might be kind of a, a Lego movie situation, even though the rules have changed now where there are some hangups on it. But yeah, it looks fantastic. And Eve, likewise, I, I love those videos back in high school when they came out. So I'm so excited to see this become a film. I'm like, I love seeing the reactions from people online, like when the trailer dropped and everybody was like, this is real. They're making a movie about this. <laughs> Everyone is just shocked. <laughs> uh, but man, Jenny Slate, I'll, I'll be hard pressed to find a better vocal performance this year from any actor, honestly. Yeah, early FYC for next year's MVP Film Awards, right? Exactly, exactly. Will Will gets my language. <laughs> Can't wait to see it. Like I said, it just looks so incredibly charming. And I, yeah, also Isabella Rossellini, she, God, I just love hearing her voice all the time. So that's also another <laughs> no, plus for me. It is like, actually, it is kind of funny to think about her being in this movie if you think about her filmography, but if you follow her on Instagram or any social media, it actually makes perfect sense. She is a seems to be a very sweet, wholesome, down-to-earth woman who's like always posting about her grandkids and her beauty, her mama, her beautiful, this is my beautiful mother back in the 1950s. She always <laughs> posts like that. It's, so I actually think it's wonderful that she's going to be in this. All right. Let's head on over to the polls now. Let's see what the MVP film community had to say for their favorite Michael Bay film for the release of Ambulance this past weekend. Was A Quiet Place inspired by signs it comes at night in War for the Planet of the Apes? Was Ready Player One influenced by Avatar, Wreck-It Ralph, and The Last Starfighter? Is a hurricane heist more influenced by Sharknado or Geostorm? These are the kinds of questions my guest co-hosts and I discuss on my podcast, Piecing It Together. Every week, we look at a new movie and try to figure out what other movies inspired it, whether it's the story, the character development, tone, or even use of music. Every movie was influenced by something that came before, and we want to figure out what. Check out Piecing It Together on your favorite podcast app or check us out on piecingpod.com. You can also follow us on social media at piecingpod. Piecing It Together is a part of the All Points West Podcast Network. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. Top 10 favorite Michael Bay movie. Before I read off the community's list here, Josh, do you have a favorite Michael Bay film? Uh, I would say that 
quality wise, it would be The Rock. Although I have mentioned before, Transformers: Age of Extinction, not a good movie, far far from it, but uniquely bad, and I am still fascinated <laughs> by it. So, like, like, so it's like the room of blockbusters, basically. Yes, yes, that's yeah. what I would say. Yeah. Sure, <laughs> that you know, when you said that on last week's show, I I had like I almost had heart failure, like hearing you say that. <laughs> <laughs> but when you clarified, I was like, oh, OK, he hasn't lost his mind. <laughs> no, Thank it's you. not a good movie. Trust me. Like, I am not crazy in that regard. But it is it is bad, but it is bad in ways that very few movies are. Will Mavity, what about you? What do you think of Michael Bay? Give me just a second. I was trying to do this thing where I was going to pull up the Armageddon theme on my phone. And when you okay. asked me, I was going to go, you know what? That, that's pretty funny. Go ahead. Well, do no, it. no. But it threw my uh, my speakers off of oh, all my right. laptop. So it's uh, it's not going to work out. But give me just a second to get myself back on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't you ask Eve what she thinks in the meantime. All right. Eve, what about you? I know he's not necessarily your style, but have you ever caught a Michael Bay film before? <laughs> I was going to say, what do you think my favorite Michael Bay movie is? I, I was going to I was going to go with um the one that you've seen, if there is uh, one. Yeah, exactly. I've never seen one. You've never seen a single Michael Bay film? No. Okay. All right. <laughs> when would I have done that? Those are boy movies. <laughs> and I'm a lady. <laughs> All right, Will Mavity, we're back over to you. Yeah, uh <laughs> So as much as I would love to play the Armageddon theme, which slaps, by the way, uh, logistically, that's going to be difficult right now. But uh, I like his 90s run, you know, and I think that's partially nostalgia influencing me. I liked him a lot as a kid. But uh, The Rock, Bad Boys and Armageddon were all a lot of fun. And I uh, I did it. I haven't seen the first Transformers since it came out when I was in middle school. So I might... Uh, reevaluate if i saw it now but i actually enjoyed that one too the majority of its films obviously just go into excess the scripts are never good but some <laughs> of them are fun i would say that i would say the closest he's ever come to a good script uh because i just rewatched this recently was pain and gain yeah uh pain and gain solid the rock is genuinely good in it too yeah I actually I actually really enjoyed my rewatch of that movie recently, like not in a oh, this is some unheralded masterpiece, but more in a oh, this is better than I remember sort of way. For me, it's Armageddon. I was eight years old when that movie came out and I saw it in a movie theater and I thought at the time it was just like the coolest thing <laughs> Uh, I also cried my eyes out uh, every time I watched that movie. If I watch it from beginning to end, I always cry at the end. As silly and as stupid as that movie can be at times, God damn it, it still gets me in the feels every single time. Sorry, I won't be there to walk you down the aisle. Oh, because... my God. Oh, oh. <laughs> I, I can't say that I have done that recently, but when I did see that movie at eight years old, yes, I did cry very profusely at the end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um and Will, I, I also echo what you're saying about the first Transformers movie because uh, I was in high school when that came out and I saw that movie five times in the theater. I couldn't get enough of it. Went with my friends. It was a good summer. I remember that very, very well. And I remember seeing um, Revenge of the Fallen and hating it so much. Really just despising it. Yeah. St- still to this day, it stands as like the quintessential example of what I look at as far as um, bad blockbuster filmmaking goes. And that has just continued on with all the other Transformers films to the point that 
it's taken me a little while to get reacclimated with Michael Bay, I would say, because, you know, 13 hours, I remember it being average, like it was okay. It wasn't, it didn't blow me away, but it wasn't trash like the Transformers movies was. And Ambulance, I, you know, I, I did find myself like kind of thinking back on those 90s uh, films that you were mentioning there, Will, where it was like, oh, like this feels like the Michael Bay of old in a way. So maybe I'm turning a corner. I don't know. But I still I, I still don't like him as a director or as a person. But I can't deny sometimes the adrenaline that his movies do give off and how exciting they can be at times. Uh, and, you know, like Josh said, Sometimes you watch a Michael Bay film just for the absurdity of it all, and that in in itself can be a lot of fun. Like when we saw Ambulance, Mike Theater was howling at some of the lines of dialogue in that movie. Like those if they were just expecting it and they were waiting for it, and then when somebody said something completely ridiculous, the audience just erupted. (laughs) Because that's what they came for. Yep. They came to be baffled and entertained by how hilariously bad uh, that screenplay uh, and his filmmaking tendencies can be sometimes. All right. I'm curious to see what the MVP film community did here as far as the top 10 goes for best Michael Bay films. Oh, boy. Here we go. Number 10. <laughs> you know, if I ever wanted to put Eve through torture, I think I would make her watch this one. Oh, no. Number 10 is Pearl Harbor. <laughs> I have only heard of that film in, like, lore. (laughs) Like, I don't really know what the deal around it is. It's basically a movie that was desperately trying so hard to recapture what Titanic did a few years earlier. Oh, okay, I see. I understand. Number nine, The Island. Oh, I've heard of that one. Haven't seen it. (laughs) The Island is, like, I I don't think I have seen it since it came out in, what, 2005? So it it has been so long. Is that like one of those films that was trying to uh, ride the wave of Shyamalan twists? No, 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 Isn't no, that no. What that was? I don't know because no. I think they gave up the twist in the trailer. Oh, never yeah. mind. <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight, 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Benghazi. Yeah, it's okay. I don't really remember too much from that movie, honestly. I just I, I remember thinking to myself it was horribly shot and I really just hated all of the tough guy dialogue in it you know like that macho like i don't know it just felt very unnatural to me you compare that to something like black hawk down which felt so much more grounded and real and i I think that you know that alone shows you the difference between the type of filmmaker michael bay is and you know someone like ridley scott for example yeah well i think also the intended audience for a benghazi movie maybe would uh give signal to that kind of mentality in the filmmaking as well. That's that's true. Number seven is Ambulance. Okay. I mean, pretty new, but I guess considering your options. <laughs> Not to mention it, it has been out for a while in the UK. That is true, yeah. Number six is Bad Boys 2, which still to this day has some of my favorite uh, Michael Bay like gags in a movie. Like some of the humor in Bad Boys 2 still makes me laugh. Number five, Pain and Gain. All right. I'm glad that made the top five. Mm-hmm. I think it should have been higher. I, I do, too. I think that is the one movie of his that I think actually has a good story and good writing overall. Number four, the first Bad Boys. Makes sense. People love it. Number three is the first Transformers. Number two. Cue the music, Will. Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> Number one is The Rock. 
No surprise there. Although I want to give a shout out to the one person who gave a single vote to Transformers Age of Extinction. Wow. (laughs) It wasn't me. Uh, But I also want to give a shout out to everyone else other than that one person because Transformers The Last Night and Transformers Revenge of the Fallen each got zero votes. So thank you. Those sound like fake movies. <laughs> oh, no, 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 Eve. They're very real. Trust me. Oh, God, the last night. That That is bad, but also like so forgettable and boring. That's the biggest thing about that movie is that it was so, so boring. Mm-hmm. You know, if the first 15 minutes were the whole movie, I would have been on board. Like medieval Transformers. <laughs> yes, I, that's what I wanted the movie to be. If it had been, yes, medieval Transformers, tickets sold, greatest movie ever made. <laughs> Or have them fighting the Nazis. That was the other segment that they showed. Like, it, either one of those two movies would have been so much better than what we got. And it's so long, too. It's almost three hours long. I don't know why those movies need to be that long, either. Oh, they just have so much story to tell. So much story. Uh, all right. This week's poll for the release of Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore. We are asking everyone, which is your favorite Jude Law performance? And I like this topic for this week's poll because I think Jude Law does not get enough recognition. I mean, granted, a lot of that has to do with his choice of roles. But there was a time in the 90s, especially early 2000s, where he was a pretty big star. Uh, That star has definitely faded in recent years. And I think now he's become more of a supporting player. Uh, But I really think that given the right role, and the right director, he could be a very interesting actor. I think some of his best work has actually been on television over the last couple of years. Uh, but, you know, we're just talking strictly movies here that have been released theatrically. So anyone here, favorite Jude Law performances? I think Mr. Ripley's the obvious one. Yeah, yeah. But I love him in Road to Perdition. He's having so much fun there. And he's so creepy, too. He plays it so well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I really, really like him in that. Yeah, that that's a good one. I would also shout out Closer, which he feels like of the four it is the one that gets the least amount of attention. But I think that's also still a really good performance in that ensemble. I'm going to give a shout out to a movie that was criminally underseen, and I thought he was pretty strong in it, The Nest. Oh, yeah, he is very good in that. I just I, like no, nobody saw that movie. Nobody talks about that movie. I thought both him and Carrie Coon were excellent in it. And, you know, that was Sean Durkin's first movie in what, like 10 years, 11 like years? 10 years, yeah. Yeah, something like that. And it got like no attention whatsoever. I, I thought he was really good in that. So I have seen Jude Law films. I honestly don't think I've seen one where he's had a big enough role for me to be like, oh, yeah, that's a great performance. I have. Uh, Talented Mr. Ripley is on my watch list. I have not seen it yet, but I have a feeling that I will really like that. That just seems like something I, I would really will. like. Yeah. yeah, given that it's Patricia Highsmith based. And I, I've seen the sort of French uh, kind of inspired one, The Purple Noon with Alain Delon, um, yeah. which, uh, and I liked that one. So that will, I'm going to move that a little bit higher on my watch list so I can contribute more to this conversation. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, another one that I actually think he's really good in, and it's a movie that I don't really like, but I like his performance, and that's Cold Mountain. You know, I've only ever seen that movie once, 
I really do not remember a single thing about that film at all. Yeah, it's a it's not great. Uh, it is not my favorite movie. Far from it. But I actually think his performance in it is pretty good. I mean, it got him Best Actor nomination, so. Yeah, yeah. I might have to revisit that. I don't know if I want to, though. I mean, it's not it's, it's not worth it. Like, yeah. he's good, but he's not worth it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but I also think he's very charming in uh, Sherlock Holmes. I thought he had great chemistry with Robert Downey Jr. in that movie, and he was a lot of fun. I give him uh, a lot of credit for his supporting work as well in, you know, where he's got, like, bit roles where sometimes it's, like, one scene and done. But I genuinely, like, enjoy him in something, like, where he just, like, randomly pops up in, like, um, uh, like in The Aviator, for example. Oh, shout yeah. out to Shout out to the movie Contagion that managed to make him not attractive. Yeah. <laughs> that's hard. That's hard to do. Yeah, it, it, it's just, I, I do find it interesting that he, you know, really did start off as a leading man for a time. And it's like once the later 2000s early 2010s rolled around he just like settled into supporting roles and any kind of leading roles he gets now are usually in films that are very underseen at this point i do like him as dumbledore i'll give him credit for that i think that that has in a way sort of revitalized his career a little bit considering that you know it's a high profile movie a lot of eyes are on it and he's in a series of films not just one like a captain marvel uh so I think this has helped him a little bit over the last couple of years to be, you know, remind people, oh, yeah, Jude Law, he's fantastic. Matt, he's going to be Captain Hook and David Lowry's Peter Pan live action that's coming out later this year. See, now, I think he's going to eat that up. I think yeah. he's going to have a good time with that. I like that. Yeah. Side effects. Oh, you like, oh, yeah. Across the board, he's very good in it. Everyone's good in that. That's a very underrated Soderbergh film. Anymore. Oh, oh, it's yeah. so good. I love that movie. And I think just one other one I would shout out is I just rewatched Anna Karenina like a week or so ago, and he is really good in that one, too. I have not rewatched that yet, but I'm going to for our 2012 retrospective. I'm yeah, it's the reason why I did it. And yeah, he that's a really good supporting performance from him. I'm very, very keen to revisit that. We'll see how that goes. Head on over to the polls page, nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote. Let us know what your favorite Jude Law performance is. Alrighty, and now let's head on over to questions from the fans, and let's see what the MVP phone community had to ask us this week. Hi guys, I'm Dean. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the Movie Journey Podcast. Where we break down every movie from the IMDb Top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. We're also home of the Pod V Pod, where we battle other podcasters in various movie games and drafts. We also do reviews of new releases, film tournaments, top five lists, and talk about everything else we've watched as well. We used to be the IMDb Journey Podcast, but since then, we've grown and matured with age. Yeah, if you don't believe us, why don't you listen to some more genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, I uh, I used to like the IMDb Journey podcast, but since then I've found something even better. It's the Movie Journey podcast. Oi, bro, I know I said the IMDb Journey podcast was a good show, but the Movie Journey podcast is so much better. Absolutely, for sure, yeah. You know, I used to think that nothing could be funnier than IMDb Journey, but I've now found my joy in... Movie Journey Podcast. The IMDb Journey Podcast is nothing compared to the Movie Journey Podcast. Absolutely love this podcast. 
<laughs> oh, amazing oh, testimonies once again. Absolutely legit and real. Of course. And if you still don't believe those testimonies, go ahead and check out the show for yourself by searching for the Movie Journey Podcast. You can find us on all your favourite platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Podbean. So come along and join our journey. Connor Olin, throughout the years of your Oscar predicting, do you have a year in advance prediction that you got right that you're particularly proud of or one that you got wrong that you are particularly embarrassed of? Uh, just like of any prediction? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I don't really make like super, super early year in advance predictions that often. And the only time I really can remember doing that was in 2017. And I do remember... I pretty much like nailed every award that Blade Runner was going to be nominated for and win that year. I was I was actually pretty proud about that, including calling Deacons like super, super early. But that was also the year I had like the current war all over my prediction. So that it was the good and the bad with that season. I can remember. I'm very, very proud to have called Dune, you know, being a best picture contender, like far more than a year in advance. Uh, But. I still think to this day, at least from the years that everybody's been listening to this show and hearing my voice, uh, I think that longtime listeners will probably remember how much I thought silence was going to be huge for Martin Scorsese. And (laughs) it didn't get Liam Neeson his Oscar. It it didn't do anything, (laughs) pretty much, other than that lone cinematography nomination. So that's probably my biggest uh, faceplant, I would say. But a lot of us did that. We all had hopes for silence that never came to pass. Yeah. Shame. Great movie. Excellent. Kind of keeping in with the theme here, uh, Trent Tonono, do you think Avatar 2 is a serious best picture contender? It's obviously going to be a tech player, but I highly doubt picture and director. I don't know, man. We never know with James Cameron. I, I literally cannot say because we doubt him time and time again, and this one has had such a troubled production, but... I firmly believe doubt James Cameron at your own peril. Do I think it will win either? No. Do I think it could end up being a smash hit and being big enough to get nominated for Best Picture? Sure. See, I'm wondering just how far he can truly push the envelope in terms of visual effects that it would astound people the same way or if not greater than the 2009 film did because that was truly groundbreaking visual effects for its time. And I know they've said they also have new techniques that they've developed, but I just can't help but feel like that will be enough for it to get into the text, but I don't know if it'll be enough to put it into the picture conversation again. But yeah, I'm like you, Will. Like, I'm probably going to put him in there because it's unwise to doubt James Cameron. So yeah, picture director nominations as placeholders for now, sure. But... I am very skeptical about whether or not if this movie this many years later can recapture the same magic that the original had. Yeah, I I do think it will be very successful. I, I do imagine that. And then it will contend in below the line. I don't know if that will be enough to push it into picture. But you know what? I think Nightmare Alley showed us that if you have enough strong support below the line, that that could just barely even nudge you into a best picture lineup, especially with a straight 10. So I would... I wouldn't expect it, but I it wouldn't so, uh, totally surprise me either if that were to happen. Ryan Rabideau, what are your thoughts on the completed merger of Discovery and Warner Brothers? Um, I 
don't like that I have to start calling Warner Brothers Warner Brothers Discovery. Yeah, it's another merger, which just seems like bad news once again, but it's a slow march to the inevitable with this industry, it feels like. <sighs> I am a little worried because I do think Warner Brothers is still one of the best studios all around for making blockbusters that actually have some level of artistic quality. And then they're mid-budget dramas that they release are still really fantastic. They're like one of the few big studios that are still putting in like 40 to 60 million dollars into like a movie like say Motherless Brooklyn or Judas and the Black Messiah, you know? And you don't really see that happening nowadays. It's still few and far between with them though. Like yeah, there's there's still doing it but they don't do it as frequently as they used to so it's still a shrinking pool and yeah you're right that with any merger you do worry that it's only going to recede even further i mean even king richard last year yeah i I just like i don't see a lot of the big studios making films like that nowadays and so i'm just a little worried about what this merger will do in terms of I, I, I hope not. I hope I hope there are no changes in that regard because I've just really liked, um, you know, their output these last couple of years. Yeah, well, we'll see. I think that Warner Brothers has been on a trend lately of being a little disappointing, though, even though they do have like some of those mid-budget films and they try to give some of their directors that are handling this, these tent poles like some artistic capability. I I feel like they are still not giving that out to as many people and as many films as they used to. Oh, well, this one's directly referencing you from Matthew Anderson of the list made by Will Mavity, a list you made back on February 8th, sir. Who do you think could be next in line to receive an Oscar after receiving seven or more nominations, but no wins thus far in their career? And you will listed a number of people here from Mike Lee, Wes Anderson, Glenn Close, Bradley Cooper, James Newton, Howard, Rick Klein, Paul Thomas Anderson, Diane Warren, Thomas Newman, Greg P. Russell leading the way with 16 nominations. No wins. I don't think it'll be Greg P. Russell because I I do think the controversy last time around harmed his narrative. He hasn't been nominated since they revoked his nomination in 2016 for campaign practices. Yeah. Um, Of people that I think surely it just has to happen for eventually – uh, Thomas Newman at 15, I keep thinking, you know, he's doing Sam Mendy's Empire of Light this year, which is apparently a love letter to cinema. Maybe uh, third time's a charm from Mendy's. And, uh, you know, he. Uh, we thought maybe he would have had a chance in 1917 and he should have had a chance at American Beauty. Maybe it happens this time. So I, I do think that Newman is a very real possibility there. Um, and then I, I think Bradley Cooper's got to happen sooner or later. I, I know everybody has their eyes on the Leonard Bernstein movie that he's doing. Yeah. 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 Again, there's three opportunities there for picture director, screenplay and actor. And sh- well, I guess we did the same with the star is born, but it seems like surely he's got to win one of those. You know, with Bradley Cooper, I just could never stop thinking about, like, watching The Hangover in 2009 and trying to tell myself, like, in a little over 10 years, that guy's going to have nine Oscar nominations. (laughs) (laughs) Diane Warren, I do think 
can happen. I don't know if it will, but it can if she has a movie that people actually have seen and liked. That's the key. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to be a Debbie Downer, and, and I'm really sorry, Kevin Jacobson. I do think Glenn Close, I can't help but feel like that ship has set sail. Uh, it, it pains me to say that, but like I just... I don't know. That's how I'm feeling right now at this current time with her. Well, I think she's another one where it's like the movie needs to be better reviewed. And I I think it can happen at some point. It just lately it hasn't really crossed over into like her performance in these movies that people appreciate more than just her efforts in them. Dom Holder. Does it bother the team that the Oscars ultimately seem to go to who campaigns the best or whose perceived turn it is as opposed to who voters genuinely think is the best in a category? Yes. I'm going to go with uh, yes and no. Uh, yes, because, well, like, obviously it should. But no, because there's kind of like an acceptance on my part that there is no such thing as best. So if there really is no such thing as best when you're you know, trying to figure out who to reward, then this is what you turn to. And like there's for me, there's like an acceptance that that is the reality. It's the way it is. And who really cares? Well, it depends on like what it is that you watch the Oscars and pay attention to the race for. And if you're really only invested for your favorite movies, getting that recognition, like you're setting yourself up for disappointment. Yes. And, but if you're just looking at it as just something that's fun and you just want to track where the race is and see what movie or performances are out ahead because of these reasons, and you're not putting so much emotional investment in it, then I, you know, I don't have as much of a problem with it because I'm judging it on a very different standard by that point. I'll tell you this much. I used to care. Yeah. I used to get emotionally invested and then you figure out that is this is no way to live. <laughs> no, it's bad on your health. Yes. Mentally, spiritually, physically, like it, it is not good. I think people every year when it comes to the awards race, everybody just needs to calm the fuck down with this stuff and really just appreciate that a wide range of movies, not just one, but a wide range. There, there's so many great movies nominated every year. You know, you could find solace in something. Uh, but I, I think that to throw yourself behind like one thing happening or to get yourself so worked up about it winning or losing, there there are more important things going on in the world. You know, at the end of the day, as Joaquin once said during his acceptance speech, it's all just for ads to sell the TV show. There is no such thing as best. David Mitchell Baker, in honor of Michael Bay's ambulance and the auteur discourse, what are some films that despite not loving overall... You really admired the direction and vision of it. All right, so a movie I didn't love, but I, I admired, like, the direction and vision. Okay, interesting. Hmm. Uh, well, you know, if we're on the subject of auteurs, I gotta be honest that almost every Brian De Palma movie I've never really been that big of a fan of, but I do admire his dedication to the craft. I always admire what he brings to it from a directorial standpoint, even if the films themselves, I sometimes have trouble connecting with. You know what? Wes Anderson for me. Yeah. Like sometimes it hits and I really, really like it, but 
I that he's a storyteller and a auteur director that I definitely do admire more so than absolutely love. Yeah, I've had that same issue with Anderson myself. I was uh, thinking of uh, Mank from last year, which I wanted to like so badly. Yeah, I could see that. And had I think a nice style to it, but that was about it. Yeah, there's a uh, several Nicholas Winding Refn movies. I would say that about. Oh yeah, yeah. I definitely can understand that, too. Then again, no, Drive is still my favorite film of 2011. So <laughs> it's the one time where he's actually like hit it out of the park for me. And I've been waiting for him to recapture that same glory ever since. Yeah, I don't think that's happening. <laughs> Isaiah Washington. Just for fun, which director do you think is most likely to win best director first? Greta Gerwig or Emerald Fennell? Greta Gerwig. Yeah, Gerwig, because she's already got the narrative. Oh, Greta. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree with Greta. I mean, Wes Anderson or Paul Thomas Anderson? PTA. Paul Thomas Anderson. Paul. Yeah, I would say that. Spike Lee or Quentin Tarantino? Tarantino, uh, because I, I do think that whatever his last movie is, if it is indeed his last I think that narrative will be pretty hard to overcome if the movie is fantastic. I I don't know actually. I think it it's tough. I think I would lean towards Tarantino, but I am not a hundred percent sold on his last movie narrative. Actually, oh, you think that you you think that he's gonna change his mind? Well, not even that. I just don't know if. The idea that this would be his last movie is actually going to be that much of a motivating factor for people to vote because because people will still have an understanding that he'll be around and he could come back. I don't know if that will sell people. I'm a little skeptical on that narrative. Uh, I think Spike Lee. Christopher Nolan or Denny Villeneuve? I guess we'll find out in 2023 the answer yeah, to this question. They'll, they'll both have <laughs> movies out that year. <laughs> I got to say that between those two, and if you were asking me now, like, who would you put ahead? I mean, granted, we haven't even gotten through this year yet, but this far out, this this is actually really, really tough because on paper, Oppenheimer looks like it could be Nolan's most Academy-friendly film to date. And Denise got this massive IOU after the director snub and how well embraced Dune was. But then again, the Academy could also be like, well, we already showered your movie with these awards. You brought back the same crew. There might be like hesitation to dip back into it again. Right, like Peter Jackson for the second Lord of the Rings. Right. And then there's also the question of, is he doing Dune Messiah after this? Will they continue to wait <laughs> even more? You know? And Children of Dune. Yeah. So... I'm going to give the slight edge to Nolan right now. Ooh, I was tempted to actually give the slight edge to Villeneuve. Based on nothing more than just a feeling, I'm going to say Villeneuve. Barry Jenkins or Steve McQueen? Oh, that's, that's brutal. Shit. I'll, I'll say Barry. What does Barry well, have coming up, if anything? The Lion King. Oh, God, the Lion King. Yeah, no, 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 but that's not, that's not what I'm basing this on, for the record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying Barry Jenkins is winning Best Director for The Lion King. Calm down, everybody. <laughs> I uh, I really want I mean I Moonlight is is one is maybe in my top 10 films of all time. If Beale Street could talk, I totally saw his style and his direction in it, but the film it's Oh, that's a good example for the film for that question earlier. I didn't like the film, but I appreciated his direction. And then I'm just like, wait, no, go back to like like you can I know you can do something as great as Moonlight again, and I'm just really hoping that That'll come to fruition. All right. And now to end things for this week, Ethan May 
He wants us to replace the weakest nominee in a lineup and choose which film should have been there instead. Okay. Best director, 1993. Film year, not Oscar year. Mm-hmm. So if we go by that, the year is 1993, and the nominees this year are Robert Altman for Shortcuts, James Ivory, The Remains of the Day, Jane Campion, The Piano, Jim Sheridan in The Name of the Father, and Steven Spielberg for Schindler's List. For me, this is actually pretty easy. I'm taking out Jim Sheridan, and I'm replacing with double-dipping Steven Spielberg for Jurassic Park. Yeah, I think... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we can have double directors. Soderbergh did it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I um, think that's a good choice. I also really like Scorsese, DGA, and Golden Globe nominee Scorsese for Age of Innocence. I, I, that would be very, very close for me, too. Yeah. I think I would also remove Sheridan, but I would replace him with Sally Potter for Orlando. Oh, good choice. Oh, was, I thought that was 92. Yeah, not Well, it not, had a festival run in 92, but it came out in 93. Yeah, she's fantastic. Her work in that is so good. Uh, Mike Lee for Naked, maybe, too. That would be... Oh, yeah. God, I love that movie. Yes. Good choice. Good choices all around. All right. 2002 Best Adapted Screenplay. Nominees here are The Hours... Chicago, Adaptation, About a Boy, and The Pianist. Oh, man. That is a very strong lineup. (laughs) So About Schmidt should have been here, obviously. Uh, That or Two Towers. Yeah, I would pick About Schmidt as the movie to slide in there. Also, Catch Me If You Can, Frida, Road to Perdition, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. That's a good lineup of things that didn't get in. I'm going to go a little left field here. On this one, though, I'm going to go with 25th Hour. Yeah, yeah. And I would replace the pianist with it. Yeah, I think I would also drop the pianist. I'd probably drop the pianist then. Like, it's a good screenplay, but I think the other four are doing a little bit more interesting things than that one, which is, you know, like I said, a good screenplay, but kind of straightforward at the end of the day. Yeah. All right, and to end this week's episode, Best Director, 1989. We have Jim Sheridan, My Left Foot, Kenneth Branagh, Henry V, Peter Weir, Dead Poets Society, Woody Allen, Crimes and Misdemeanors, Oliver Stone, Born on the Fourth of July. I think you could drop Allen. I I could very easily drop Allen. I'm probably going to as well. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I'm going to, yeah. In terms of who I would replace him with, this is such a good year. Mm -hmm. Spike Lee, baby. I I mean, that to me is like the obvious choice, like with a bullet. the obvious one. But to be a little different because like that truly is my choice. But if I had to, let's put it this way. I would drop Woody Allen and I would drop Jim Sheridan. (laughs) I would put in Spike Lee and the other person I would also put in here uh, would be... Oh, this is Rob such a good year. for when Harry met I, I know it's such a good year, but then again, I love Edward Zwick's work on Glory too. Working Glory is great. <laughs> and then what about Tim Burns' work on Batman? Yeah, uh, I think if I'm going to pick somebody that isn't Spike Lee, I would actually say Danny DeVito for The War of the Roses. Oh, Josh. Oh, my. I love that movie. <laughs> what a choice. God, Danny DeVito's such a good director. I miss his films. 
Uh, I would actually put in for my slot, because uh, this is, like I said, such an abundance of riches. Steven Soderbergh, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Okay. Great movie. I, I have to say Spike. I mean, that's... Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're all saying Spike, but it's so obvious, you know, it's just another option as well. Eve, anything or... I, I, yeah, I'm, I was saying Spike Lee as well. Okay. All right, well, that'll do it here for episode 289 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Stay tuned for next week where we discuss the Cannes Film Festival lineup. Evo Day, where can they find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Eve on Film. Josh Parham? You can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Will Mavity? You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. grown-up me too yep me too but you know these days being a grown-up can really suck luckily we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation we had video arcades and also some of the best tv and movies ever made we lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics the list goes on and on yep generation x exactly and we're gen x grown-up every week the gen x grown-up podcast explores media tech toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) Right.